You're about to learn how to fast like a pro on today's episode of Health Theory with Jimmy Moore. We talk about why you need a why in your health journey, what the true markers of health really are, the dangers of a low-fat diet, and why fasting is one of the most powerful tools you can utilize for better health. Hey everybody, welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is best-selling author Jimmy Moore, the man behind the Live in La Vida Low Carb podcast and such books as Keto Clarity, Cholesterol Clarity, and The Complete Guide to Fasting. His personal journey from morbid obesity to champion for healthy living is also ultra-inspiring. And Jimmy, I've been following you now for a very long time. We were talking when you came for years now, which crazy that this is the first time that we're meeting face to face. Ever, and that's far too long. Far too long. And the question that I'm dying to ask you, Uh-oh. change as profound as yours yeah. usually comes at the cost of pain. That's usually the thing that causes people to change. What was it in your life that caused that spark that made you lose all the weight and learn all this stuff? So my older brother, Kevin, passed away at the age of 41 of morbid obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. But he had his heart attacks in 1999. Mm. And that was the first year that I kind of went, whoa. For the first time in my life, I really got serious about wanting to get healthy. But I always went back to to the default. Mm. And the default was no fat, lots of uh, healthy carbohydrates for energy, and then exercise till you drop. So I did that in 1999, successfully lost weight, but I was miserable, I was angry, and I couldn't sustain it. And I think anybody that's trying to find a nutritional modality or a lifestyle modality that's gonna give them long-term success, it has to be something that you literally can do for the rest of your life and be happy about. From day one of keto, other than day number one, which was bad, um, it was not bad at all. And it's been nothing but living la vida low carb ever since. So there's a book called Change or Die. The punchline of the book is that most people, and I forget the percentage, but it's way less than 10%. When all they have to do is take one pill a day to increase their... um, or to decrease their mortality risk by some like astronomical percent, like right. 40 or 50%. They don't do it. They still don't do it. Right. And I was just like, how is that possible? So looking at, if it was your brother's heart attacks, it was the impetus for you to lose weight. Right. Why were you able to tap into the why when it was his own life and he couldn't click into it? It gets really to the heart of motivation because everybody tells me, oh, you had such great willpower to be able to do that diet and to give up the carbs and give up this and that. And I'm going, no, I had why power. Going back to your original question, um, I had want power. Mm. I had the desire to change the, the want to. And it wasn't that I ever didn't want to lose weight, didn't want to get healthy previously, but suddenly I had a radar screen in front of me that said, if you don't then, and it's the what comes after the then that didn't look good in my eyes. And so I had to make that change. And why did I do it and others haven't? That's up to the individual. And I think each individual has to come to that conclusion of they have a why, they have a want to, they have a reason for doing it. Um, and this applies not just in diet, but really any part of life. You have to have a reason or you don't really stick with anything. Mm. 
Now, has it always been in your personality to go and learn and research and figure things out? Because the amazing part of following your journey has been like when I first got onto you, I don't even think you'd written your first book yet. I had not. It was just the podcast. Right. And so I've gotten to watch you like really become one of the leading voices in the space self-taught. Like there's no MD after your name and yet by you're- By design, by the way. That's interesting. We'll talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Because you've built credibility without that just by going in and learning sort of a citizen scientist. Right. Um, is that just a natural part of your personality or? Every single job that I'd ever had before what I do now for myself, best boss ever, by the way. And it was always, I felt like I got to a certain point with that job and I couldn't go higher, even though I felt my abilities gave me the ability to get here, I was always stuck here. Mm. And I could never figure out why, when I knew I had value inside of me, talents, gifts to be able to help whatever company I was working for, there's where I was. And I would apply to be able to get there and they would never let me. And so I think that was one of the things that I wanted to prove those people wrong. And for the longest time, they tried to define who I was. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to go out on my own, build my own business from the ground up and, and do the work that it takes that I know I can do. I work harder today, Tom, than, and you know this, being an entrepreneur yourself, I work harder today than I've ever worked in any job in my entire mm -hmm. life. And yet it is the most satisfying, gratifying, I wouldn't trade it for the world. When you wake up at four o'clock in the morning and you're ready to rip roar and ready to go mm. to take on the world, um, that's what drives me now. Whereas if I had a nine to five job, that would not be so fun. Yeah. I want to like really get to what were, when you first started dieting and in the beginning when it is really hard, Yeah. what are you repeating in your head? Is it the, the what if statement where if I don't do this, then I'm going to you know, fill in the blank, die, right. heart attacks, whatever. Um, is that what you're repeating or? Yeah, sugar is rat poison became my mantra. Really? Yeah. So, so in the beginning, it was just about in avoiding the sugar. I had such an affinity for sugar and carbs, 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day. That's crazy. Yeah. And whole boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes. I'd throw them in the freezer an hour before watching TV. We'd pull them out and I'd eat a whole box watching a one hour sitcom. I'd pull out the other box and eat the, I mean, that was just normal to mm. me. And so, you know, when, when you have that mentality in your past and then suddenly you need to create some negative stigma with that thing, mm. sugar is rat poison certainly is that stigma. Now, obviously on a conscious level, I knew it wasn't actually rat poison, but to give yourself enough pause to go, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing it. So did you, so that was the avoid the sugar. And I think that there's two ways to approach something. You've got move away from, you've got move towards. Right. So you, that's the move away from side. Right. Did you have a move towards like, and I want whatever result, better blood markers right. or to live forever, which is my thing. Or, <laughs> you know, forever I had always been told, oh, well, fat is going to clog your arteries mm. and give you heart disease and it's going to give you a heart attack and you're going to die. And so people fear fat. And so for the first time in my life with reckless abandon, I didn't fear fat. 
And that's huge. And to this day, people still are hesitant about embracing fat. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's what hangs up a lot of people when they try to make a nutritional change is they hear low carb and they say, well, if low carb's good, low carb, low fat must be better. And it really isn't. That's a recipe for disaster. And so low carb, high fat becomes your ticket to feeling the brain health benefits, Mm. to getting the lowering of the inflammation, to increasing your longevity, which is your goal. Um, All of those things are so important and it came by embracing the very thing that you've always thought was gonna harm you. Right, you've talked really eloquently about that um, you can't just look at whether somebody um, is skinny or not. You've really gotta look at biomarkers. So what are biomarkers that you really pay attention to that you think all of us should pay attention to in terms of actually determining our health? Yeah, and thank you for that question because I do get criticized online because I still have weight on the body. But at the end of the day, you're right. Health markers are what matters. And for me, I wanna see very specific things. So inflammation, because without inflammation in the body, there is no chronic disease. People are like, well, why do I care about HSCRP, high sensitivity C-reactive protein? Well, you should care because if that's low, your chances of having any kind of disease going on in your body is extremely nil. And so that's a big one. Fasting insulin is another one that is a key. And so insulin is uh, the kind of master hormone in the body. And so if you control insulin levels and uh, don't allow it to go out of whack, then again, your body is in a pretty good state of health. That's the one that I know is keeping some weight on my body. A1C, which is like an average blood glucose over the past Mm. three months. And so A1C, uh, it's measured in millimoles per liter. Americans don't understand millimoles per liter, but basically uh, you're looking for an average glucose of all your glucose readings for the past three months. And then triglyceride to HDL ratio. Everybody's like, oh, my total cholesterol is out of whack and my doctor wants to put me on a statin medication and LDL and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that was the science 50 years ago. Would you like to know what it is in 2018? So in 2018, it's triglyceride to HDL ratio and small dense LDL, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So triglycerides are that really true bad fat in the blood. And so people are like, oh, okay, well triglycerides are fat in the blood. It must come from the fat in the diet. No, no, it comes from the carbs. And so the more carbs you eat, the higher their triglycerides go. My wife, Christine, she had a 300 triglycerides, normal, with conventional medicine is under 150. You'll find out here in a minute, that's high. But 300 is what she had. All we did was cut out her Skittles, M&Ms, and Dr. Pepper. This was many years ago. Just those three things, all sugary things. And she dropped in six weeks from 300 to 130. Whoa. Yeah. And so it's powerful knowing that the direct impact of just the sugar and the refined carbs and and the, the grains and all those kinds of things are having on your body just in the blood fat levels. And so getting the triglycerides and one of the telltale signs if someone is doing keto slash low carb well is their uh, triglycerides will go under 100, like like axiomatically go under 100. 
and ideally under 70. And then HDL is the other one. Everybody, oh, that's the good cholesterol. Yes, it is. But let me tell you why it's good because it, it, it goes in conjunction with the triglycerides. Mm. And so as triglycerides come down, HDL goes up and HDL doesn't go up on its own. It has to go up because it's got the basic raw materials that allows it to go up. Guess what that material would be? Oh yeah, it's dietary fat. And so when you eat fat in the diet, specifically real food fats like butter, coconut oil, lard, all the healthy fats, avocado oil, olive oil, macadamia nut oil is my new obsession. I love that stuff. Um, then your HDL will go up. And so you're looking for that ratio between the triglyceride and the HDL, and it should be one to one or less. Mm. And so most people are walking around with like 10 to one triglyceride to HDL because wow. their triglycerides are going so high because they're eating carbohydrate. Mm. Their HDL is going so low because they're still fearing fat. So this dichotomy between those numbers are here when if you eat keto, they're more close to here. And that's what makes you healthy. It's so crazy because this stuff is so complicated. Like when I think back to when I first started, so keep in mind at like 12 years later, I found a nutrition company. But in the beginning, I'm eating licorice every day because licorice has no fat. And I remember somebody saying to me- Naturally fat-free, it says correct, in the package. exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, how can you lose? Right. And somebody said to me, um, I think though sugar turns into fat if you eat too much of it. Right. And I was like, that, that doesn't even make sense. Like, come on. How can one thing become something else? Right. So as you were explaining that triglycerides are actually coming from carbohydrates, walk people through, like in a 30,000 foot view, we don't have to dive too deep, but just right. give them like a quick rundown of how in the body a carbohydrate ends up as a triglyceride particle in their bloodstream. You consume it and the body immediately says, okay, it's a carbohydrate that's raising blood sugar. So blood sugar goes up. Guess what has to help bring it back down? Insulin. So insulin comes out, slams it into the cells and says, behave, you're not supposed to be here. Because in the entire human body, there is just one teaspoon of sugar. That's it, one mm. teaspoon of sugar. And so when you eat a whole bag of red vines, you've just flooded your body probably with 15 to 20 teaspoons of sugar. I did the wow. same thing. I know it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And so when you think of it that way, at some point insulin goes, okay, dude, I'm out of here. Screw you. I can't do all this. And so it stops functioning well. Mm. That's insulin resistance. So when you start getting insulin resistance and you start having adipose tissue start to build up, it builds up because the insulin stops responding. The sugar goes to various parts of the body, primarily the liver. And once it hits the liver, the liver's like, okay, we don't know what to do with all these sh this sugar. We start squirting out fat because we've got to translate it into something the body can maybe use. And so whenever you get that kind of, a, you know, think of it ancestrally, when you get that kind of bolus of sugar all at one time, ancestrally, it wasn't meant to be a disgusting, you know, part of your body. It was meant to be a survival thing. Mm. Your body thought you were starving in the future. So it was going to store up because you're giving it so much energy at one time. Right. It's going to store it all up in your fat stores so that someday you can use that as energy. But what happens is you're storing up this energy 
and it's never getting used. I used to be basically in a rabbit starvation diet. So I knew carbohydrates were a problem for me. Um, so I dropped my carbs. I started losing fat. It was amazing. Um, I knew that I didn't want to eat fat because fat makes you fat. Obviously it's in the name, Jimmy. So I avoided fat like the plague. So I was basically eating protein period. And I went and ha and I thought I was lean, dude. I got way lean and I was, um, so low carb, low fat, high protein, really restricted calories, lots of um, cardio. I looked amazing. I felt terrible. Yeah. My business partners and my wife pulled me aside and were like, you don't have a personality anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's how bad it got. Yes. Um, my doctor though was like, oh my God, these numbers yeah. are amazing. Your cholesterol is so low. This is incredible. Like he was freaking out. And then I was screaming with inflammation. So I had joint pain. Yes. I had, my wrists were an atrocity. My knees were almost as bad. I mean, just really, really bad. And find fat through experimentation that we were doing at Quest. Fixed my wrist problems overnight. It was amazing. Changes my lifestyle. Flash forward, whatever, four years later. And now I go get my levels tested again. And the doctor's like, we got to put you on a statin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but I feel great. I'm still lean. Yeah. Not as lean, but I'm still lean. I haven't had to, I used to have to ice my wrist every night for 15 years. Wow. And so I, like, thankfully by then I knew better, but what gave you the confidence to be like, I know better than these doctors. Cause even me, and I'm pretty arrogant. When the doctor said that, I thought, I don't know. Like, is he right? Cause it's when the person in the white lab coat tells you, no, this is really dangerous. It, it gives you pause. How'd you have the courage? So let me tell a story about after my initial Atkins diet weight loss in 2004, I went to see my doctor. Whoa, you've lost a lot of weight. How'd you do it? I did the, um, <laughs> I couldn't. <sorry. laughs> I didn't want to tell him because I right. was fearful and knew how he would respond. And the first thing out of his mouth was, oh, we need to test your cholesterol. And I'm like, go knock yourself out. I have nothing to hide. And the results came back. And so I was like, hey, pretty good numbers. No, we need to put you back on statin. And now I'd been on two statin drugs mm. prior to going on the Atkins diet. And I was like, okay, no, we're not doing the joint pain and all the other negative side effects of statins again. But it was just this whole notion that a number on a piece of paper would determine your health. Whatever happened to looking at a patient and saying, you're healthy, you look healthy, I can tell you're healthy, whatever you're doing, keep going. Now, obviously there are some markers that will indicate things long before you're symptomatic, but cholesterol is not one of them. And I think what gave me the confidence was I got tired of everything being about a number because you asked earlier, you know, I don't have an MD, a PhD, an RD or any D after my name. And that's by design. I want to be empowered patient Jimmy Moore. And yes, I built the platform without those things. So to try to go and get those things now would be silly. Right. I'm so much more powerful, so much more relatable to people because I'm average everyday Jimmy Moore who happens to have a few best-selling books. But at the end of the day, I'm just a dude. And I'm trying to show people, look, you're just a dude or a dudette. You can do this too. And the confidence comes from, I know the science. I know, and I've talked to all the experts in the world. I think people lack the confidence 
like like what you did because they haven't immersed themselves in it. Now you're immersed yourself in it now and you could probably be that very confident about really anything about your health now. But until people get to that point, it's one reason I wrote all these books is I'm trying to give people that arming them with information so they can be confident when they go to their doctor. I'll tell you a story. My neighbor read my book, Cholesterol Clarity. She was on a statin medication. She got to chapter five and read all about what statins were doing. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what they're doing to me. She goes to her doctor with that book in tow and says, I know the author of this book. <laughs> and he says, I need to come off the statins. I would like to come off the statins. Help me now. Oh, and he just had a hissy fit, but she was confident. Mm. And so if nothing else about my work, I'm hoping it arms people with good information about cholesterol and keto and fasting and whatever else I decide to write about in the future. So what is your process? How do you go and learn this stuff? Like, how do you start when it's a brand new topic? You don't know anything about it. You don't know who's writing about it. Right. How do you begin? So one of the fun parts of my job, and I professionally podcast four shows that air five days a week. Yes, I'm cray cray. But it, it gives me lots of confidence to chat about different subjects like you're hearing today. I'll give you an example of a topic, and it's fasting. Fasting was always... Uh, off the radar screen for me until I interviewed a gentleman on the Live and La Vida Low Carb Show, Dr. Thomas Seafried, very famous keto uh, yeah. cancer researcher. And at the end of our uh, podcast, he said, you know, if you want to prevent cancer, just fast for seven to 10 days using only distilled water once t- one time a year. And he just drops this bomb <laughs> at the end of my interview. And I was just like, I was trying to process it. Uh, okay, that's all the time we have today for the living of it. And I didn't ever get to follow up. Uh, I've since followed up with them a little bit. But I was like, wow, fasting is that powerful. And I think it's just it's that natural curiosity to want to learn more mm. that drives me to become an expert. I'm always thinking, what does Joe Sixpack think about this issue? Okay, they don't think about this issue. Okay, that's where I start. Joe's six-pack of abs or six-pack of beer? <laughs> well, just the Joe, Joe Schmo right. and, and Jane Doe. That's, that's who I think about as I go through this process of learning. Mm. All right, I could beta-hydroxybutyrate and I could do all these terms to them and it would just gloss over their head. But if I say, you know, if you become a sugar burner and then turn into a fat burner, you'll improve your health. Right. Whoa, now that clicks. And then you refine that a little more. So for me, yes, I can geek out on all the science and read all the journals, but I want to get to the crux of the information so that it becomes palatable to them. Because Keto Clarity, for example, that's all I did in that book was scratch the surface of what keto is and give practical information and a very layperson uh, knowledge so that then you become very engaged in it and you want to learn more. Now go read all those hard books mm. because now you understand it. So that's my role in this. I probably will write a little bit of a harder book someday, but for me, my niche is just translating it into average everyday language. No, that's amazing. Um, I love that and I love how deep you've gone on a lot of subjects and I want to go back to fasting. Yeah. So. With fasting, have you had pushback from people that um, they don't think you should or they seem to have almost a religious aversion to it? Yeah, there's still people that think it's starving yourself, um, which very quickly starving is you have no food and you can't eat food. Mm. 
Fasting is you have food, you choose not to eat for a period of time for a specific purpose. Two totally different things. And so when you explain it in that way, you're in total control. If at any point during a fast, you need to eat, guess what? Eat. Jason and I both say to do that in our book. If, if you're fasting and you're not just not feeling right, eat. But we also explain the, the back end of it if you're just kind of, okay, I've got head hunger and I, I just don't know if I can get through it. Okay, that's a different issue. We'll help you with that. You know, do some salt and electrolytes and different things to kind of calm things down. And usually people can get through it and get to a one week fast very easy. Now, I find that a lot of people don't really understand what a fast is. Right. Walk people through the difference between intermittent fasting and then a full Extended fast. fasting. Here's the easiest way to intermittent fast. It's going to make it so easy for everybody watching right now. So you eat your last meal of the day at 6, right? 6 p.m. Wake up the next morning. Eh, I'm not really hungry. You just skip breakfast. And keep in mind, that term breakfast literally means break the fast. Doesn't mean you have to eat at eight o'clock in the morning. It just means you're breaking the fast. So why don't we push that break fast to noon? Mm. So if you do that, you go from six o'clock the night before to noon the next day. You just intermittent fasted for 18 hours and all you missed was one meal. Are you really gonna miss that one meal? Most people not. Once you're keto adapted, very easily you will not. So. So just eat a sensible meal on, on that intermittent fast or a couple of sensible meals because you get noon and six, you can eat. So you eat twice that day and then you do it all over again, 18 hours. But the extended fasting, this is where it gets really interesting. So let's say you've intermittent fasted. Let's say you're very keto. Let's say you're ready to push it to the next level. First day should be easy. You're used to intermittent fasting. It's day two where it starts to get a little bit more difficult and people go, okay, they're going to like wring their, their, their hands and just because their body is so used to eating that at that day is when everything kind of goes a little berserko in their body and they, they start, people start to freak out. Oh, this is not working. I need to eat it. No, no, no. Push through that. So how do you push through it? Stay very well hydrated. So drink, 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 and drink some more salt, pink Himalayan sea salt. You can buy big old buckets of it now at Costco. Mm. And I get a pinch of it and I stick it under the tongue. And when you do that, you feel like you had a meal. And so you're telling your body everything's okay. Usually the withdrawal symptoms that people have where they think they need to eat, it's really just electrolyte imbalance. And so the pink Himalayan sea salt, some people also do a little bit of potassium. Maybe the, was it the no salt that has potassium? Some people take a magnesium supplement. So you get all the electrolytes in there. And if you push through day two, you get to day three and you start to feel a little better. Maybe some people are still a little symptomatic, but get through three days and guess what happens? That A word rears its ugly head in a good way. And that's autophagy. Because after three days of not eating food, and I mean no food, you can have water, you can have salt, but no food, your body rewards you by giving you cleaning up, a cleaning up of all those proteins. So yeah. what, so if autophagy is cleaning up of the proteins, what does that mean exactly? Is it looking for deformed proteins? All kinds of protein. And this is the other thing. People don't realize there are proteins just floating around the body, got nowhere to go, and there's no way to get rid of them without fasting. 
And so this is why regular at least three day, and, and here's the point I was gonna to get to about long-term fasting. You get through three days, go seven. Because once you're past the three days, you're past the hardest part of this entire process. Day four, five, six, and seven, you almost feel like I don't ever have to eat again. It's the weirdest thing. What's the, have you done a long fast? Five days, my max. So day four, five, was it pretty good? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you get to that point and you truly feel, you get moments where it's just a little gnawing in the stomach or you kind of just go, okay, I really want to eat. But it passes, especially when you do the salt thing. Um, it's so powerful. And I try to incorporate this. I travel a lot with my job, but I try to, when I'm home for some extended period of time, throwing in a one-week fast just to see how I feel. And most of the mm. time, I don't even have the symptoms on day two, three anymore, Yeah, which is amazing because it's like, I think it's like riding a bicycle. Those first few times you skin your knee a little bit. And so it's really hard. But then after a while you're popping wheelies. Yeah, I totally agree. The first time that I did a fast was brutal. Night two, I remember my head hurt so badly. And I woke <laughs> I like up in like the it. middle of the night and I was like, this is brutal. I couldn't, like even my head on the pillow yes. was like too much. I had to sit up. Yes. I remember thinking, are there any calories in Advil? Because <laughs> I wanted Advil so badly. And I was like, yes. there might be calories in it, so I can't have it. And on an empty stomach, ugh. Oh God, it was, th that was brutal. Day three eat? then was fine. No, 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 okay. I didn't. And I know you said like, don't be don't a hero. Don't push through it. Yeah. I pushed through it. Jimmy, that's part of my personality. I have to. I said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I made it through. I was so beyond proud of myself. And the next time I did it, though, because I did that right after Christmas where ah. I cheat, I have sugar and all kinds. There so you I go. Was, I could have predicted the, that. Yeah, hence the misery. <laughs> and it was my first time ever, so I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Then the second time I thought, I'm going to get into ketosis before I do this. Yes. And then everything changed. Perfect. So that now, so the most recent time was the five-day fast, longest I had ever done. I had done multiple three-day fasts before, but th this was my first five. I got into full-blown ketosis before it, got into it. Honestly, I didn't even have the day two problem. Like right. the only thing I struggled with fasting was I realized that there is a, an emotional drug-like effect to food, that eating is just fun. And even more than that, there's a sociological aspect yeah. of it as well. Why aren't you eating? I remember Christine and I, Christine's my wife, Christine and I would go visit family and we, we would be intermittent fasting like we always do at home. It's lunchtime, why aren't you eating lunch? They just can't wrap their heads around not eating breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, snack, midnight snack. It seems like we've become so conditioned to eat that when someone doesn't eat, they're the weirdos. Mm. That's strange. And I've done three 21-day fasts. Yeah, his mouth just opened. That was hilarious. So three whoa, 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 whoa. Water-only yeah. fast for 21 days? So when I did the first one, I did kombucha and bone broth with it. Then I realized that made it harder. So that's when I backed off. Because you have some calories. There was so some your body... calories that was stoking a little mm. bit of like hunger and cravings. And so when I cut everything out, it was just water and salt three 21 day fast and I regularly fast Whoa. for seven days and I've, and I've come to the conclusion, I get all the benefits that I'm looking for fasting for seven days at a time more often than 21 days, like once every six months. Dude, that is like Olympic level fasting. It's not as hard as you think. And especially if you have 
some body fat, which I do, um, it makes it a little bit easier. But yeah, I think probably organizing them every six to eight weeks is probably a good idea. Wow. Incredible. So then we need to go harder on autophagy because if I'm listening to this right now, I'm like, yeah, there's not enough benefit for me to right. do this many fasts. So autophagy, it's cleaning up my proteins. Um, I've heard it described as um, picking up especially malformed proteins. Yes. Um, I know that some people say that there's potentially anti-cancer properties, right. which is why I fast, right. if I'm honest. So what, where does that come from? Nobody really knows. That's the honest answer. And I think a lot of it has to do with the gut health connection. Because when you fast, and I'm going to get really gross here, but it, it is what it is. Uh, when you fast and you start eating again, people are like, oh, how's the poop when you start eating again? It's the best it ever is. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing to talk about out loud, but you can't deny that there's cleaning up not just of those uh, deformed proteins, but of the gut health. Some of those bad microbes that are in the system you zap them out because you're basically starving them of what would be food when you're not eating anything at all. So for me, I want to see more research in this realm. And this is something that if the research comes and I get real excited talking to different researchers about this, there's definitely going to be something there that can be communicated to the public because right now we don't know enough about it. We can theorize that it helps improve, uh, the, the population of the good bacteria once you start eating clean, real whole keto foods again. But we really don't know until those studies have been done. It's interesting. I can't wait to see what you come up with with that. Um, one thing on the cancer side that I thought was interesting, and again, I'll say it's directional. I don't know that there's enough evidence. I'm certainly not making proclamations, but um, part of the reason we are taking this so seriously at Quest is apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. So your cells are supposed to die. They're supposed to senesce, get old, and then ultimately stop reproducing altogether. And then cancer cells are the cells that sort of skip that step. Mm -hmm. they, um, they senesce, they get essentially defunct, but now they keep reproducing and they never actually die. But they're in a somewhat weakened state. So if you then go through um, a fast and those are weakened and now they're under the stressor of there's no food source coming in, from what I understand, uh, those cells are more likely to die and then be cleaned up. Uh, and especially if they're malformed in the um, autophagy state, they would be cleaned up and swept out of the system. So one word of caution I would throw into this discussion, because even a lot in my community say, well, just don't eat sugar and you starve cancer cells and you'll get rid of cancer. And I'm going, some of the cancers metabolize ketones. So if you're in a fasted state, and you're ramping up mm. ketones, driving down glucose, of course, but ramping up ketones. Are you exacerbating cancer cells in certain parts of the body? While you may deal with ones like the brain where, where cancer, uh, keto is really good for cancer, there's other parts of the body where keto would make the cancer grow and, and anything that would grow uh, ketone bodies. Do you, do you fast then primarily just for cleaning up the random proteins? A lot there... of things. Um, cleaning up the random proteins, um, allowing the insulin resistance to heal a little more. I've noticed, Tom, since I've added in these fasts, that my carb tolerance level has gone up. Just a tick. And tolerance as measured in the blood? In blood sugar level. So whereas I could only eat 25 grams of total carbs before. Without a, a spike, you're saying? Without a spike. 
Now it's about 35 grams. Not a big change, but it, it shows you that there is healing taking place mm. inside the body metabolically, even if it doesn't necessarily manifest itself on the outside. Maybe I do six more of these seven day fasts and it becomes 40. Got it. That, wow, that'd be really interesting to see I'm if there's keep like, watching it. you know, does it plateau or does right. it just keep going? Right. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, fasting is one of those areas like the whole sort of ecosystem of benefits on oh, yeah. the gut, on insulin, you we know. We talk about all that in the complete guide to fasting. Inflammation, I imagine, yes. is something that's well, massively I mean, it, it, the thing that makes keto so amazing is it's an anti-inflammatory diet, but the same benefits are with fasting, except just at a much more sped up level. All right, I'm gonna take you way out of your comfort zone for a second. Please? I wanna go back to Thomas Seafried. Yes. So he drops the bomb at the end of the podcast saying that if you wanna stay cancer-free, then fast. Right. What is it, and I fully understand, I'm so with you, what you're about to say is merely one man's um, directional insight. It yep. is not in any way, shape, or form a proclamation. But out of curiosity, why did he think that? So in his research, he had seen where they were trying to get the, I believe it was the rat model he was using, they were trying to get them into as high a ketosis as possible, where basically the blood glucose and the blood ketones were basically one-to-one. -one. And so he found he couldn't get it there with nutrition by mm -hmm. just eating, you know, just with feeding them a ketogenic diet. So he would have to basically fast them for a period of time. And so it was through all of those testings and all the things um, that he had to do that he discovered seven to 10 days. But do you know why he thought a one-to-one -one ratio was cancer protective? So he's got a lot about it online about this glucose ketone index, if you wanna look it up. But um, I think it's just, just the many years that he'd been looking at the numbers with so many animal models that he just came to the conclusion. Again, I think at the end of the day, we don't know yet, mm. but I think his theory is an interesting one that it's worth exploring more. I hope that they're going to do human studies with real people with cancer because this could be huge. Yeah. I mean, no kidding. And look, as somebody who, and I say this sort of tongue in cheek, but it, it really is something that I hope comes to fruition. I want to live forever. And there's a great Woody Allen quote. He said, um, I want to live forever. Um, not by you know leaving a legacy of art, but by not dying. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Like I want to not die. But this stuff around longevity, I find really, really yes. interesting. Um, and that's gonna actually be around my final question. I think your answer will be robust. So before we get to that, um, where can these guys learn about you online? Oh, I'm the easiest guy in the world to find. If you Google Jimmy Moore, the whole first two pages on Google is literally all my stuff. I don't know how that happened, but it's yeah. SEO optimization without trying. Ten, 10 plus years of being one of the most prolific creators yeah. in the space, I think, <laughs> is what did it. But livinlavidalowcarb.com is the website. Perfect. All right. My last question is, yeah. what is the one thing that John Doe should do or myself if we want to have the most positive impact on our health? Wow. That's a loaded question. I think care. I know I've said it many times in this interview today, but care. And I think once you care, then you become a student. Because a lot of people, they'll go to their doctors. You talked about white coat syndrome earlier. They go to their doctor and they expect their doctor to just tell them what to do. Take this pill, even though half mm. of them choose not to do it. 
Care means I'm going to study. I'm going to become the best student of my health that I can possibly be. That's all Jimmy Moore is. I'm nothing special. All I did was started caring about my own health. And in that journey of learning about what helps my health, I've helped other people. Mm -hmm. And so once you start caring and you start getting passionate about why you care, then you share with the world, we're going to change this world. And so I really appreciate you having me on here today. Dude, for sure. Thank you so much for being here, Jimmy. It's an absolute pleasure. Guys, man, I'm telling you, I've known this guy for a long time, been following his work, been reading his books, and what I hope came across in this interview is that he is a normal guy that decided, I'm going to learn this stuff. I'm gonna take control. I wore this shirt in honor of him because he doesn't look towards other people, he looks towards himself, and he takes that ownership, and he figures things out, and he learned all this stuff, and you have to understand, like you look at it now and you see, yeah, but you've got all these different podcasts, you've written all these books and you've met all these experts. But there was a day where he was a morbidly obese guy that didn't know anything about it and he had to build all of that from scratch. And that's the incredible part. That's the journey that I hope that you guys take away from this is that can be you too. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you want to learn about, however you want to empower yourself, the information is out there. You can learn it. You can figure it out. And if you're willing to ask those questions and dive deeper and keep pushing until you understand, you really can become the greatest advocate of your own health. It is such an empowering journey to know whatever you're going through physically that there is a way to address that. And it's almost always through what you eat. So hopefully you guys will feel empowered to embark on that journey yourself. And I'm telling you, he's the first stop. So check him out, look him up online, read his books. They are so great in their simplicity and how they make these really complicated topics accessible. It's actually where I start. If he's got a book that addresses it, and I'm learning the topic, I start with his book. It's that powerful, it's that foundational. So make sure that you dive into them. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.